0: So a couple of things. First of all, to any veterans who are here tonight, thank you. Thank you. We want to thank you for your service. Yes. Um, Secondly, tomorrow is our day we have set aside as a church to pray over this land on Chandler Heights. If you were not here Sunday or you misplaced that prayer sheet... That has some specific sort of things that we're asking you to be thinking of and praying for tomorrow. There are some extra ones up there on that, whatever you would call that thing up there, around where the pillar is on your way out. Um, so please pick pick up one of those prayer sheets on your way out, and we just encourage you. Some of you want to fast. I know you know some many people are fasting and, and praying tomorrow. Um, we just want you to let the Lord lead you as to how you observe tomorrow, and but we we are just calling our people to pray and to seek God over this. Uh, and then, third, two weeks from tonight, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, the twenty fifth of November, we are having a pie fellowship. Okay, our our annual. Tuesday before Thanksgiving, Pie Fellowship. So everybody who comes just brings a pie, we all share pies, and we all begin to get our stomachs ready for two days from then, okay, on Thursday. So that's what the Pie Fellowship is all about. Uh, Do do we need, that? does does Debbie, do you need us to say anything more than that tonight about that? Because I know you're sort of in charge of that, right? Just come and bring a pie. All right, so, yeah, yeah, okay, drinks and serving utensils will be provided, you mean I can't just pick up a piece of pie and, okay, we won't go there, all right, Acts chapter 16 tonight, we are talking tonight in this chapter about the greatness of God's plan, The greatness of God's plan. And as I read and studied this chapter, it reminded me of the verse out of Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul talks to the Ephesian Christians about to the one whose power is working in us that goes beyond all that we could ask or think. To Him be glory in the church. And what Paul's reminding us of there is that that the greatness of God's plan for us always is beyond... What we could ask or think. He always does that when we follow his plan. And so, the important thing here tonight, up front, too, is to make sure that both individually and as a church, we're embracing God's plan for our life and following him. Because if we do that, if we trust his plan for our lives, and if we as a church trust his plan for our church, it's the best plan. And there's a greatness in it. There's a There's a magnificence to it that is only in God's ways of doing things. And we're going to see the greatness of God's plan for his missionaries, like Paul tonight in Acts chapter 16. And as I read and studied this, I was very much encouraged by this chapter, even for us as a church. Because almost everything we're going to talk about tonight and seeing the greatness of God's plan obviously applies to us as a church and corporately. But I want you to take it even down to your own life. And I want you to see that these things are also true for God's plan for you. And that God will show up in ways that, again, like Paul said to the Ephesians, goes way beyond all that we could ask or think so that He gets the glory. So that He gets the glory. So God's plan... Is always the best plan, and there's also, again, a magnificence to it, a magnitude to it, a greatness to it, that you couldn't I could never do trying to do it our own way, or somehow cooking up our own plans, if you will. God's plan is always the best. So we see at the beginning of chapter 16 that one of the reasons why God's plan is so great is because. Whatever God's plan requires as far as people goes, God will supply the people. We never have to worry about people, because if God truly wants us, say even as a church, to do something, God will make sure that the right people are here to accomplish it. And we see this on the heels of chapter 15, where remember Paul and Barnabas had split up because of their disagreement that they had over John Mark. And now Paul was taking Silas with him, but also we find out here in chapter 16 that Paul also was taking someone else here that he met. A young man by the name of Timothy. Notice, he also came to Derby in Lystra. And a disciple named Timothy was there, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The implication there, too, is that probably Timothy's father was not only a Greek, but probably was not a, a believer in Jesus Christ. The brothers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. That's important. It is important what other believers think of us. If we're going to have a ministry with people, they need to think well of us to be able to be open to what God wants to do through us in them. Verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He saw the value of... Timothy and he chose Timothy. He delighted in Timothy. He took pleasure in Timothy. And he took him, notice though this in verse 3, and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew that his father was Greek. Why subject Timothy to circumcision? We know it wasn't because this was necessary for salvation. We also know that this wasn't necessary for sanctification, for, for, you know, growing. But what this was necessary for, when you realize the audience that they were going to try to minister to was, this was very necessary for ministry. And what it reminds us of is, folks, is that there will be times where God asks His servants, us, His ministers, to sacrifice. To take on or do something or not or whatever that is, that is a sacrifice in order to open up doors of ministry to people. Because ministry really is about people and building bridges with people and winning their favor. And so Paul wants Timothy to be circumcised. And let's face it, not to get to this too much, but, you know, it's one thing for a baby to be circumcised. It's another thing for a full grown man to be circumcised. And yet Timothy was willing to subject himself to this circumcision. Why? Because he knew that this would open up doors to the Jews and not put a wall up. And all Timothy and Paul cared about was reaching people for Christ and therefore they were willing to make sacrifices. Again, not sacrifices for salvation, not not that circumcision was part of salvation, but it was a sacrifice for ministry. What is God asking of us, maybe individually and as a church, to be willing to sacrifice that if it was up to us, we know that we wouldn't have to do it? It's not something that's necessity, but we are willing to do it because it's opening up doors of ministry. That's what we see happening here. And so God, part of the greatness of God's plan is that He supplies the people. And He was supplying Paul With Silas, now that Barnabas was gone, and now he was supplying Paul with a young man named Timothy that was going to be invaluable to him in his ministry. Verse 4, as they went through the towns, they passed on the decrees that had been decided on by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the Gentile believers to obey. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number every day. And by the way, in that word increasing is not just the idea of they were adding numbers. It's the idea again that God was going to make sure that whatever the churches needed for the ministry that He had called them to, He would supply the people to meet that need. God would make sure that the people were there. And that's what you and I need to be encouraged about. That's why even I have told our leaders in the past too that we need to be careful that with whatever amount of people we have that we don't overextend and try to do more than what God has given us the people to do. Because if God wants us to branch out and even do more, then God will bring the people in to do it. And so you have to look at it both ways. Now look at this also, and I'm going to get a little ahead of myself and I'm going to come back. But another interesting thing is up in verse 8, notice Luke, the author of this book of Acts, uses the word they in verse 8, but then uses the word we in verse 10. Because they also picked up Luke while they were in Troas. And so you see that contrast there between they and now we. I'm part of the team now. And so now Paul has not only picked up Timothy... But Paul has picked up Luke. And I truly believe that one of the reasons why God had Luke come on board with Paul was because Luke, being a physician, was also going to be invaluable, not just spiritually to the team, but obviously was going to be somebody that I think Paul would have relied on physically for many of Paul's ailments, if you will, and thorns in the flesh and things like that, that, you know, Paul needed attention to. And so we see here in the first few verses of Acts chapter 16 that one of the reasons why God's plan is so great is because God will supply the people. In fact, Jesus even said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And so be encouraged by that. If God knows in his plan for your individual life that there's a person that that is truly necessary for you to to get to know or to meet or to... God will make sure that that happens. If it's truly necessary, God will bring the people into our lives and into our church that are necessary for the greatness of His plan. two, God will also supply the guidance and direction that is needed. God will always supply the... If it's His plan, if it's His plan... He will supply the guidance and direction. Look at verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in the province of Asia. Now, it's not because God didn't like the people of Asia, and uh, he wanted Paul and his cohorts to go to Europe, which is basically where they end up. They end up going more towards Europe and spreading the gospel there than Asia. It wasn't that God liked the people in Europe more than he liked the people in Asia. It goes back to that principle, though, again, of God's going to give us guidance and direction to our particular ministry, and God wants to make sure that we narrow the focus of our ministry. God didn't want Paul, for whatever reason, at this time... Over here, God wanted Paul and his companions to move in this direction. And we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit prevented them from going to Asia, but it was clear that this was the guidance and direction that the Holy Spirit of God was giving them. Don't go this way, go this way. And then it goes on in verse 7 to say, When they came to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to... To do this, Notice, very interesting, the only time in the Word of God that really the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Jesus. Interesting terminology there. But I think it's also reminding us of the oneness, if you will, of the Trinity. That whatever God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are doing, it's always in unison. They never go in opposite directions. They always move as one. Three distinct persons, but work as one. But then verse 8, so they passed through Mysia and went down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul during the night. A Macedonian man was standing there urging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul saw the vision, we attempted immediately to go over to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. So we see here in these verses that one of the the reasons why God's plan is always so great is because God's going to supply the people that we need. God gave Paul not only Silas after he broke up with Barnabas, but then brought Timothy and then brought Luke and brought many other people to Paul. But now God was giving them guidance and direction. You and I can always count on that. If we're following God's plan for us as a church, and we're following God's plan for us for life, He will make sure that He gives us guidance and direction each step of the way. Which is why then it behooves us, we've got to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. And we've got to allow the Spirit of God to fill us and control us, so that we are, in a sense, connected to God and in fellowship with God, so that when God moves and directs and guides, we're sensitive to it. I've certainly experienced that as I shared with you guys on Sunday lately in this whole land thing. It's been very clear to me God's leading and guidance and direction in all of this. And then to even see how God was leading and guiding through other people as we came together as a building team and began to discuss and to hear what the other people were thinking. It's another way God guides and directs us. And then notice, beginning in verse 11, the other thing that I saw here is that God will always go before us, preparing people's hearts. See, because He's God, He gets there before we do. So just like if God's saying, now I want you to go here... It's not like we have to wait till we get there in order for God to start working. The encouraging thing for us as ministers and servants of the great, most high God is that God is already working. He's already working. He's already preparing. And we see that as He prepares this young lady's heart, Lydia, here in chapter 16. Notice we read together, We put out to sea from Troas and sailed a straight course to Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of that district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We stayed in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate to the side of the river where we thought there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had assembled there. Some women were having a prayer meeting. By the way, this word prayer in the New Testament, this this specific word for prayer, there's other words for prayer literally not only means to offer prayers but it many times talked about a place of prayer something for us to think about you know obviously we can talk to god about anything anywhere you know but it reminds us that, that down through history people had sort of a place of prayer where they would go and meet god in a sense we see that even with jesus as he modeled for us, that many times he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane and talk to his Heavenly Father and meet with him there. So notice what it says in verse 14. A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of the Tyre. The reason that's significant, folks, is in this culture, at this time in history, purple was only worn by the most powerful, wealthy people in society. It was the most prized color in that day and age. So for this lady to be one who worked with purple, she she was a pretty good businesswoman, let's just say, in that day and age, and did pretty well for herself. Notice what else it says, a God-fearing woman. It doesn't mean that she was saved. It doesn't mean she was a Christian yet. It just means that she has reverence and respect for God. And notice, she was listening to us. And here it is. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. That's the key. See, the greatness of God's plan is I don't have to try to think, oh, i, I got to try to unlock these people's hearts. I've got to try to get them to respond. No. When we're doing what God wants us to do and we are part of His plan, here's the confidence that we can have and the encouragement that we can have. God will already, already be working on people's hearts, at least the ones who are open to His working in their life and to bring them to a point where they respond, you see. Where they respond, because that's important. God wants response to His Word. God wants response to what He's doing, His moving, His working in our lives. But we have to have a heart that's prepared. That's why we encourage folks here at the Oasis And I'm going back to Sunday's message even on praise and and worship and thanksgiving and all of that. Our time of worship as believers in Jesus Christ as a church on Sunday and Tuesday night would be so much better and even at a greater level if each one of us made sure that we were praising, worshiping, and thanking God the other six days of the week. Or the other five days of the week. So that when we come on Sunday, and we come on Tuesday night, all of us are just extending the praise and thanks and worship that we're giving to God all the time throughout the rest of the week. We have prepared ourselves. Same thing is true with taking in the Word of God. If I spend my week... Allowing God to prepare my heart that when I come before his word, whether it's in my own personal devotions or my own time of listening to the word of God, my heart then is going to be more apt to respond to what God is saying to me because my heart's prepared and I'm open for those who are not allowing God to prepare or open their hearts, then obviously they can be in the same service, they can listen to the same message, but their heart has been closed off to that, which is why, again, preparation is so important. But it's the work of God. Only God can open up people's hearts if they will allow Him to. That's not something that you and I can do. That's not something we're responsible for. So again, in the greatness of God's plan, the cool thing is, Paul understood, you know, God's going to go before me. He's going to be in Philippi before I am. And he's already going to be speaking to people like Lydia. And as long as they are willing to listen and and respond to God, God will do the opening of the heart. I'm just going to get there at the time where then I can share the Word of God, and they're ready, you see. That's why, man, when we're we're doing what God wants us to do, and we're following God, it all sort of complements each other, you see. And that's why even Paul encouraged other Christians, look, you might not be the one to to uh, actually lead someone to Christ, but you might be someone just as important along the way. You might be the one that planted the seed. You might be the one that comes along as a Christian and waters that seed in that other person's life. And then someone else might come along at a later time. But Paul said, we're all working together. You see? And we're all part of that preparation in those people's hearts to bring them to that point where they respond. So we see that here. Notice also that God will also supply the provision that we need. Because immediately we begin to see evidence of the grace that is operating in Lydia's heart. Whenever she, verse 15, and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, come and stay in my house. And immediately this woman was like, I'm opening up my home to you and I want to take care of you hospitality. You know, there for a couple days, they had a place of lodging, they had food and whatever, and God was going to make sure that if they just trusted in His plan, that He would provide. Yes, He would use people, but that He would provide. It's no different than the principle that Jesus shared with His disciples when He first sent them out and said, look, don't take anything. Trust me that I will provide for you through others. And that's what God wants us to see, the greatness of His plan. That if we just follow His plan, there will always be His provision. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. And we see that here. I'm sure by this time, you know, the thoughts of where are we going to stay? Who are we going to stay with? And what's our next meal going to look like? Well, guess what? Lydia gets saved along with her whole household and says, Hey, come on in and stay for a couple days. You know? In fact, I love this. I wanted to point this. I said she persuaded us. That word means she applied some pressure. It's like twisted their arm just a little bit, you know? Because I'm sure, like you know, we would be. Oh no, no, I, we don't want to impose. We don't want to come in. And it's like, no, I want you here. Let me take care of you. Let let me let me show you hospitality. You see. And so we see Lydia. Immediately, just being filled with the evidence of true salvation. Next, we see that God supplies the power and authority we need to meet whatever challenges or stuff that we need to negotiate. Whenever, beginning in verse 16, along their journey, they meet this slave girl. This slave girl is in touch with demonic spirits. Spirits that, because they're demonic spirits, they're not God. They don't really know the future. Just like people today who are in touch with demonic spirits and they'll say, well, I can tell the future and I can tell what's going to happen. No, they can't. Only God knows the future. But what these demonic spirits can do is this. They're very intelligent, more intelligent than we are and more aware of what's going on in people's lives because they're spiritual beings and they're not confined to one place. So they make very good I don't even want to use the word guesses, but, but they're pretty good at being able to tell a lot of times, but obviously they're not always 100% correct. But just like there, today, she was involved and connected with some demonic spirits, seers who were, you know, and, and these men had hired her to make them some money. And these men didn't care about her. All they cared about was the profit that she was giving to them. Now, as Paul and his team are going through the city, you know, the demons in her are connected with her, are actually even testifying, hey, these people are the servants of the Most High God. And Paul got fed up with it. Because Paul did not want any kind of testimony from any demon about him or God or anything else. So notice in verse 18, she continued to do this for many days and Paul became greatly annoyed. Here's my paraphrase of that. Paul got pretty lathered up and worked up over it. And so finally it says here, he turned and said to the spirit, not to the girl necessarily, but addressed the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And we see here that Paul then is acting in the power and authority that has been granted to him through Jesus Christ. And it is just a, simply a reminder to us Whatever power, whatever authority we need for God's plan for us as a church and for our lives, God will supply it. And Paul could be confident that he was a messenger of God here and that that spirit was under his authority because ultimately it was under God's authority. So it came out of her at once. Verse 19, when her owners saw their hope of profit, again, they didn't care about the girl. All they cared about was the material gain that the girl was getting through her being able to see. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities, and when they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us to accept or practice since we are Romans. Notice it says, the crowd joined the attack against them, and the magistrates tore the clothes of Paul and Silas and ordered them to be beaten with rods. Paul references this in 2 Corinthians 11, where he lists many of the sufferings that he went through for Christ, and this is one of them, I was beaten with rods. In fact, it goes on to say in verse 23, after they had beaten them severely, it says they threw them into prison and commanded the jailer to guard them securely. Receiving such orders, he threw them into the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. The next thing that God will supply to us when we need it is grace and comfort. Grace and comfort. You can count on it. Paul talks about the suffering that he was called to by being a servant for Jesus Christ. And he even reminds the Corinthians, look... As the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so does the comfort and grace that God pours out to us so that, we can, so that we can deal with it. And here we see a great evidence of this. That these men were being basically examples of the grace and comfort of God that was operating and provided for them because this, was, this is the greatness of God's plan. If God calls us to suffer just as He did these men here in Acts, then God will give us the grace and comfort we need for that suffering. God always matches whatever suffering we have to go through and that He calls us to with His grace. And isn't this again the same principle that Paul shares with the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians when he says, when when he approached God three times to take the thorn in this flesh away, God says, my grace is sufficient. I won't take the thorn away, I won't take the suffering away, but I will supply my grace. And we can always count on it, that's part of the greatness of God's plan. If He chooses not to heal, if He chooses for us to go through some kind of season of suffering or whatever, like you see here in Acts 11, then we can always count on this. God will always supply the grace and comfort we need to get through it. We also know that that grace and comfort was evident because of the reaction that Paul and Silas had while they were in prison. Notice what this fascinating verse in verse 25 says. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Wait a minute. These were the guys that just had been beaten with rods and wounded severely, and they're just, they're just having a prayer service in jail. That's evidence of God's grace. I mean, humanly speaking, that's not going to be our reaction to what happens. But it's showing, again, the greatness of God's plan. Because God, every once in a while, is going to ask us to be a living example of Him before others so that they can see the reality of Him in our lives. And sometimes that only comes through times of suffering. It's not going to come when everything's going well. It's going to come whenever people know, oh my goodness, do you know what they're going through? And yet to see the joy and the hope and all of that evidence just like it was here? That's what stands out. That's what begins to get people's attention. Like, could there be a God? And could He literally help these men be able to sing? At a time like this, nothing else makes sense. I also wanted to point this out. God will also supply His very presence. Because a cool thing here in verse 25 is it says, about midnight Paul and Silas were praying. This word praying means to be attached or joined to God. God it's the idea that that part of the reason why they were also able to sing praises and and have this attitude in spite of all that they had already suffered was not only because god's grace and comfort was in in their lives but they literally were attached to and joined to god and his presence was so close to them. They were so closely connected to God that they literally could sense His presence there. And even if they had to go through the beatings, and even if they had to be thrown into jail, the presence of God was so palpable in that prison cell that they could sing praises. God will always supply His presence to His plan. If He's calling us as a church to go somewhere, to do something, He'll be with us. Every step of the way. If God is calling you or me to something, God will be with us. First chapter of Joshua. What does God keep telling Joshua? And what's He want Joshua to remind the people? I'll be with you. I won't leave you. I won't neglect you. I will be with you through this whole adventure into the promised land. Over and over again. My presence will be there. In every battle, in every challenge, through every obstacle, I will be with you. And this whole idea of prayer and drawing close to God. And what does James say? Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And Paul and Silas, I believe, just felt... The presence of God with them as they prayed and as they sang and as they worshiped God. Because they knew God will always supply not only the people, not only the guidance and direction, not only prepare hearts, not only supply provision, the power and authority, the grace and comfort, but God will also supply his very presence. And then look at this. God will also open doors of opportunity. And I'm not literally talking about the doors of the prison flying open here. Look at what the story says. Suddenly a great earthquake, verse 26, occurred so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors flew open and the bonds of all the prisoners came loose. And when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he assumed the prisoners had escaped. And that was just a death penalty. But Paul called out loudly, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Calling for lights, the jailer rushed in and fell down, trembling at the feet of Paul and Silas. And he brought them outside and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with all those who were in his house. At that hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and all his family were baptized right away. I want to stop there for a moment. I want you to see this. God didn't open up the doors of this prison to let Paul and Silas out. We're going to see that very clearly in just a moment. God shook that prison and brought that earthquake so that this jailer and his family could come to Christ. And that's what is the greatness of God's plan. Is that in sometimes the most bizarre circumstances, we don't even see it coming. Here's an opportunity that God gives us and a door that we never saw. And it's not just cracked open. It is flung open. And all of a sudden, Paul and Silas aren't just navigating being in jail. Now they've got an evangelistic opportunity. They've got a whole family that wants to know God. When we follow God's plan, God will open up doors of opportunity. Always. Whether they be doors of, again, evangelizing, whether they be doors of doors of strengthening and edifying the saints, whether they be doors of just encouraging and refreshing and praying for one another or whatever that is, but God will always open doors of opportunity for us to minister in His name. That's what He calls us to. And then notice this if we follow God's plan, He will also give us encouragement along the way. Because notice, as soon as this jailer and his household accept Christ as their Savior, notice how they turn around. Just like Lydia, it was just clearly evident from the very beginning, as soon as Lydia opened up her heart to God, how she was right there willing to open up her home and be hospitable and serve God's people. Same thing here. As soon as the jailer and his household opened up their hearts to Christ, They just wanted to minister in some way to God's people. Notice what it says. I'm going to go back up and begin at verse 33. At that hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and all his family were baptized right away. The jailer brought them into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced greatly that he had come to believe in God together with his entire household. Again, God didn't open up the doors of that prison to let Paul and Silas out. God opened up the doors of that prison to give them an opportunity to reach into this man's heart. And the reason we know that is because, notice this, maybe you've never seen this before, but between verse 34 and 35, somewhere in that night, the jailer takes Paul and Silas back to the jail. Because in that morning, when the magistrates come to the jail, they find Paul and Silas back there. They weren't still at the jailer's house. They went back to the jail to be there when the magistrates came looking for them. See, they it wasn't about them getting out of prison. It was about them having the opportunity to share the gospel with this jailer. So notice what happens. At daybreak, the magistrates sent their police officers saying, release these men. So the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent orders to release you, so come out now and go in peace. That means they were back in jail. Can you imagine you, you, even as a Christian, I'm in jail for, for the cause of Christ and some miracle, an earthquake or whatever, opens up the, the doors of the prison and I'm out and I'm fellowshipping at this person's house and maybe they got saved or whatever. Is it going to be in your mind or my mind? Now, take me back to the prison. I got to get back there before daybreak. I'd be like, I'm out. I ain't going back. But I think, again, that that shows how in tune these people were with the Spirit of God. It wasn't about them being released from prison, because what they had learned through walking with God, even up to this point, was if God wants me in prison so that I can be a witness for Him and bring people to Christ, that's where I'll be. That's why Paul embraced house arrest in Rome when he got there. He had learned, it was like, God, if you want me to be a prisoner for you, I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. And I know you're going to use me wherever you place me. So God, I'm just I'm I'm just following your plan, because your plan is so big and so much greater than my plan could ever be. In fact, we even see this because remember I I didn't really touch on this when we ended our series in the Book of Romans. But remember when Paul was telling the Romans, "Oh, I can't wait to see you," but Paul wasn't thinking he was going to come to Rome the way he did. Paul came to Rome to see the Romans, but he came as a prisoner. He didn't come as a free man. He came in chains and stocks and under house arrest. But Paul had just gotten to the point where he said, to me to live as Christ, to die is gain. God, whatever your plan is for my life, I'll do it. Because Paul understood, if God has me in this place... That for me personally is uncomfortable. For me personally might be a place of suffering. For me personally might be confining and sacrificial and all this. I know God has a plan and purpose for it. And if it's to reach people for Christ or to strengthen believers or whatever, I'm willing to do it. Because Paul had begun to realize and embrace the greatness of God's plan. That God was able to do exceedingly beyond what, what he could ever dream up or think. And we see that here in Acts chapter 16. So one other thing. Let's finish this out. Verse 37, But Paul said to the police officers, They had beaten us in public without a proper trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And they threw us in prison. It was a big deal to treat a Roman citizen the way Paul and Silas were being treated, you'd be like, "Why didn't Paul say something before?" He probably didn't have the chance, or maybe the Spirit of God just let him not to throw the citizenship card out there. I don't know, but for whatever reason, it wasn't made known until now. And now they want to send us away secretly. Absolutely not, Paul says in verse thirty-seven. They themselves must come out and escort us out. The police officers reported these words to the magistrates, and they were frightened. <laughs> when they heard Paul and Silas were Roman citizens and came and apologized to them. After they had brought them out, they asked them repeatedly to leave the city. And when they came out of the prison, they entered Lydia's house once again. When they saw the brothers, they encouraged them and then departed. My final point. In the greatness of God's plan for us, God will always bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. And we see that here at the end. After all that Paul and Silas had been through, they go back to Lydia's house and the Bible says they strengthened, they encouraged the believers there. Why? Because they were being blessed by God. And, and when God blesses us, He doesn't want us to, to keep that blessing to ourselves. He wants us to be a conduit, a channel, an instrument of blessing to others. And so here's Paul and Silas. Instead of saying, you know what, guys, we've been through a lot lately. We've gotten beaten with rods. We've got thrown into prison. We've got abused. You know, they didn't even treat us like Roman citizens. You know, we're, we're going to think of ourselves here. No, they go right back to Lydia's house and begin to bless others. Because they realized that really the blessing was the fact that God was using them in such a great way. And that they were part of God's plan. And when you and I are are in tune with God's plan, and we're doing what God wants us to do, where God wants us to do it, and all of that, there is nothing sweeter than that. And we can take with us these assurances tonight, and just let me repeat them to you quickly as I close. Why is God's plan so great? Because God will supply the people, God will supply the guidance and direction. God will go before us in preparing hearts. He will supply the provision. He will supply the power and authority. He will supply the grace and comfort. He grants us His very presence. He will open up doors of opportunity. He will grant encouragement along the way. And He will bless us so that we may bless others. Acts chapter 16. Let's go out and bless some other people this week. Let's pray. God, as we stand here tonight and we close our Bible study in prayer for this week, our thoughts are already, Lord, thinking about our day of prayer even tomorrow and just seeking you about this land and whatever your plan is for us as a church family. And God, I hope that even in that, that this chapter was encouraging to our folks tonight that whatever your plan is for us and whatever your plan is for us individually in our lives with you that god we can take encouragement in it if it's your plan you'll supply you'll provide you'll furnish whatever is needed you you never ask of us to do something in your name and for your glory that you don't give us the provision the supply the things that we need to accomplish and finish that task. And God, I hope that more than anything, that this chapter also just be an encouragement for us to, to follow your plan. To be reminded, God, that your plan for us as a church and your plan for us as individuals is the best plan. It's the greatest plan. And if we're just willing to follow you and see you work, God, we can experience things that we could never experience any other way. No matter what we have cooked up, no matter what plans we have for ourselves and how we think we can accomplish it, Lord, nothing can match following your plan and purpose for our lives. Your will is beyond amazing if we simply embrace it and follow it. And so God, I pray tonight that that's That would be our heart. That whatever you have for us as a church, and whatever you have for us individually, God, that we would embrace it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.